Hey, welcome to week number three in our series that we're calling Throw in Shade. Before we jump into the message today, I want to just, uh, first of all, thank you for joining us on our online campus. And also, for all the men, I want to encourage you to sign up for our men's breakfast coming up in February. We're going to be giving away some of these Nifty Valley hats here. Adidas Valley hats uh, are going to be uh, not only giving away as prizes, but also if you don't win one as a prize, you'll get one. You can pick up one as a purchase, but we do have limited quantities, so go ahead and sign up for Men's Breakfast. Pastor Yuri Simonyuk from our sister church in uh, Moldova is going to be here as well for that breakfast, and he'll be speaking briefly, so make sure you sign up, get one of these beauties, all right? There we go. Don't forget it, you want one, and uh, you can only get those at the men's breakfast. Also want to mention, next week is the finale uh, of our series, and... uh, My very own wife, Susie Williamson, is going to be sharing the message, and we're going to be covering whatever, like what is the attitude behind that? Susie's going to be sharing that. Not that she ever says that. No, but she's going to be sharing that, and uh, you don't want to miss that, so I want to invite you back for uh, our our service next week, online or in person. And uh, we're week number three here now, and and let's go to the kind of like our our theme verse for this whole series. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say, we've emphasized that it's supposed to be everything, not even most, but everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And uh, week number one, we were talking about trash talk. Last week, we talked about gossip. We looked at really how uh, destructive gossip actually is, and I heard a lot of great feedback on that. I actually got some mess- some questions, some text messages, uh, some folks emailing about like, okay, I, I heard what you said, you know, but would this be considered gossip or what about that? And you know what? I love that because what it does is it shows that we're really thinking and we're really trying to apply what God's word has to say to our lives to really be the people that God has called each and every one of us to be. And kind of the big idea for the whole series has been this, our hearts, our words reveal our hearts. Our words reveal our hearts. Week number one, we looked at when we were talking about trash talk, uh, that Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so our words reveal what's really in our hearts. And and it's an unhealthy heart that, that, that negativity and trash talk and gossip uh, come out of. And specifically today, we want to talk about cynicism, sarcasm, and sass. There's going to be a lot of hissing in this message today. Cynicism, sarcasm, and sass, because these three things are really, they're kind of like cousins to one another. So I thought, let's not separate them. Let's bundle them together and talk about cynicism, sarcasm, and sass. Now, here's the thing about cynicism. Uh, I've heard it said this way before. I thought, wow, that that puts it very, very well. Cynicism is the bitter fruit of an insulted imagination. Cynicism is the bitter fruit of an insulted imagination. See, no one is born a cynic. That, that doesn't happen. Uh, and, you know, you look at little kids, they're upbeat, they're happy, you know, life is wonderful, ha, 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 giggling and all this. But cynicism is the result of hurt, 
or, or a wound that really interpersonally uh, that, that causes someone to have a cynical perspective on other human beings, on life. And, and sarcasm is really a form of that, and, and being sassy as well. And, and uh, it all comes from, it, it's not a born thing, it it's, it's comes out of a hurt or a wound. And, and I've got a confession to make, uh, I struggle with this being cynical, even as a pastor. Uh, just this week, I was on a, a Zoom call with, with pastors from all over the country, really, about 60 or 70, and, and the speaker was actually sharing about just, just how being a pastor, it is the number one occupation in terms of that, that hurts a, a, a pastor. It, it hurts their psyche mentally and emotionally getting hurt the most. It's the most destructive to a person's emotional health and mental health. Number one occupation, most destructive, being a pastor in America. Second, I think, was a a university president, and third was president or CEO of a hospital. And, And so it's real easy for me, personally, to kind of slide into being cynical. Worst case scenarios, always like the worst. When, when you, you've done this for a while, I've done it for a while, over three decades, you've certainly seen the best in people, but you've also, you've also seen the worst in people. And, and, it, and it affects you. And, and so we're not sharing this today out of a, a, a place of perfection, far from it. Uh, I'm probably gonna preach to myself pretty hard. And you can just kind of like eavesdrop and, and listen as I, as I preach hard to myself. Talking about cynicism, sarcasm, and sass. See, an equation, I want to give you a mathematical equation almost for cynicism, uh, and then I'll explain it. Here it is. Hopelessness plus anger equals cynicism. Hopelessness plus anger. When we lose hope, when we hoped in a relationship or we, we hoped to see something happen. It doesn't happen. Disappointment, hopelessness. And and then we get angry because we realize we can't control the situation. The result of that is cynicism. Anger, we're going to talk a lot about emotions today. And and by the way, these notes are on our website. You can just check out message notes, valleyny.cc. Follow along. You may want to add some additional notes and and even email it to yourself uh, so that you'll have these to look back on. Uh, talking about emotions, then we're going to go to the scripture and, and just see a real great example of this uh, and, and how to overcome cynicism. But, but anger is kind of the, the guard dog of all emotions. Uh, anger is the thing that, that we kind of put up to keep from being hurt more. An angry person is a person who's been hurt in the past, and now they're using anger as a wall, as a defense mechanism. And and. You know, when, when things happen that, that are out of our control, heartache, disappointment, crisis, whatever, uh, you, you know, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask, what is going on? What's, what's happening here? How is this happening? But, but one, of the, one of the questions that sometimes we ask, and it really shows cynicism, is why? Why? So let's talk about this question, why? Because I think oftentimes 
a person that asks why all the time, it, it's a form of cynicism. It's subtle, but it, it, it really is negative. If we drill down on the actions uh, that, that we don't like, if we really drill down to the bottom of it, when we ask why so many times, what's at the bottom of, of, of that question, why is this happening, is fear. Fear, that those feelings of fear that we're out of, things are out of control. Why is this happening? Why do I have, why did I not get that promotion? Why is my marriage failing? Why are my kids acting this way? Why, why, why? It, it's a fear that when we realize we're not really in control, and oftentimes the next thing that comes is anger. Hopelessness, anger, equals cynicism. Why, sometimes, that question, why, can be guided by curiosity and wonder. However, more times than not, why is not usually a question, it's a statement about control. Why is this happening to me? In other words, who's really in control of this? Why weren't you there for me, God? Why didn't you change this? See, it's questioning who's really in control. Why, why, why? It's not an honest question. It's a question that's really coming out of cynicism and anger. We all, in terms of control, we all want to have control. Let's admit it. Be honest. We all want it. We all seek it. Uh, control is what has kept you safe up until this moment, that, that we've stepped away from things that we thought were going to harm us and, and, and this sort of thing. But the reality is when, when we fear that God is not in control, we try to c- take control of everything. And it's, it's an illusion that we can control anything, really. I mean, we can't even control our own thoughts most of the time apart from the power of God himself, the Holy Spirit. And and so this idea that we can control anything is why. And and there was a man uh, in the Bible we're going to look at in just a minute named Job that it seemed like everything around him went completely out of control. And he asked why an awful lot of times. But let me just kind of show you the progression here. When we're reminded that we're not in control, we get scared, then we get disappointed, then we get angry, then here comes the sarcasm, the sass, and being cynical. Kind of a progression right there. So, So you see cynical, being a cynic, and, and sarcasm, those are down on that list. And, and it's the result of what? It starts being scared, disappointed, angry, sarcastic, sassy, and cynical. All of these things because we're not in control. And, and so, yeah, being sarcastic, it does take a certain amount of wit. Cynicism not, doesn't take really a bunch of wit or, or sass at all either. And, and so... Our statements, when they're cynical, when they're sarcastic, when they're sassy, are not so much about other people. They really are statements about us, that, that there's a hurt, there's a wound in there that's kind of driving our cynicism, being uh, sarcastic and, and being sassy. So 
Let's look at this, this story of Job here. It's kind of interesting if you know the story of Job. Uh, scholars believe it was the first recorded book. You know, the Bible is not put together chronologically. Uh, it, it, Job was the oldest, the first book written. It's not about the beginning of creation. That's Genesis, but it's the oldest one that's been around the longest. And uh, if you know the story, Job was a righteous man, and, and Satan came to God and said, you know, uh, God says, hey, he's bragging on, what do you think about my, my, my boy Job down there? And, and Satan's like, well, if you let me, you know, if, we, if you just drop that hedge of protection you have around him, you let me do some bad stuff to him, uh, you know, um, he, he'll curse you, you just watch, and God was like, okay, go ahead. Go right ahead. He won't do it. He's a righteous man. And, and so what literally happens is, as you read through the story of Job, Job loses, he was a very wealthy man at the time. Uh, he loses all of his animals. They all die. All of his servants that were caring for his animals, they all die. All of his sons and all of his daughters die. I mean, he lost almost everything except his wife which I think is really funny. It's like Satan's like, no, I'm going to let her stay with you. <laughs> he knew that would hurt him more if Job's wife hung around than if he took her. So anyway, I just find that funny. But, but it took his sons, took his daughters, livestock, servant, all of that. And, and uh, throughout the book of Job, Job 26 times asks God why. 26 times. Why is this happening? Why? 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 And again, you can hear it kind of coming out of this sarcasm, kind of coming out of this, this cynicism. And, and, and God, this is an amazing conversation that's recorded for us. Now, I don't think you should kind of like draw your theology from the book of Job, but because, again, it's the earliest written book in all the Bible, and, uh, and, and things have gotten clearer since then. But there's this amazing conversation that I want us to look at as, as Job is really kind of being cynical and sassy and sarcastic with God. Look at just a few of these uh, examples here. Job chapter 7, verse 20. Job says to God, If I have sinned, what have I done to you? You who see everything we do, why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? He, he's like just, he's, he's really letting God have it here. Well, look at another example. Job chapter 10, verse 18. He says, why then did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before any eye saw me. He's like, why did you even let me be born if I was going to suffer through all this? I, I mean, he literally, he, he wants to die. And, and now listen, just, just kind of take this to heart. It, it's healthy, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong. In fact, I think it's typical sometimes for us to ask God why. But, but here's the thing, oftentimes we're not going to get an answer back because God's doing something much, much bigger than uh, he really feels like we need an answer for. And he was doing that in Job's case, and, and, and I think he still does that. And so again, don't draw your, uh, your theology, don't build your theology on the book of Job. Look at another example here, Job 13, 24. Why did you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Not, not good theology there, but Job wasn't a scholar, you know. 
But he's like, why, why are you hiding? Why are you so far away from me? Job isn't being a theologian. Job is being human here. And he's like, why? Why did this happen? 26 times Job asks God, why? And then the last one I want to just look at, Job chapter 21, verse 7. Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? In other words, why do you let injustice go on? His perception of injustice. Why is life not fair? Why? So he keeps asking God, why, why, why? And you hear the the cynicism, and you hear the sarcasm in it, and, and you hear the hurt that's coming out of Job because of the loss that he's experienced. See, see there, there's always anger behind cynicism, sarcasm, and sass. That there's hurt, there's a wound. There were wounds, literally, for Job that he'd experienced. Let me give you two solutions. Two solutions for sarcasm, cynicism, and sass. There's a lot of S's in that, a lot of hissing. Two solutions, sound like a snake today. Two solutions for sarcasm, cynicism, and sass. Here's the first one, I kind of put these in pairs. Silence and tranquility. That's a great solution for sarcasm, cynicism and sass you know maybe you've heard it put this way before uh, a wise man once said nothing a wise man once said nothing sometimes the wisest thing that we can do is just keep our mouth shut you know I think even the, the little bumper there for our series you know it, has that statement. I, I remember my mother would say it to us as kids growing up. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. A wise man once said, hmm. didn't say anything. Kept his mouth silent. Jesus is the best example, the greatest example for us to follow when it comes to this. Uh, look at this passage and, and again, he shows us how to respond here. Jesus, when he's being falsely accused, when he's been betrayed, when he's facing whipping, beating, crucifixion, when he's in this really this mock trial, this just travesty of justice. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 62, says, Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. He didn't respond. In the middle of false accusations, in the middle of all kinds of uh, slander, they're questioning his reputation, they're accusing him of things that he didn't do, they're twisting his words, He remained silent. Wasn't sarcastic. Wasn't cynical. Wasn't sassy. 
He was silent. He, he kept his peace. Silence and tranquility. Best example that I could possibly see in scripture. Of course, it's Jesus. And, and look at how the rest of the story plays out. In, in the rest of the verse, in, in verse 20, uh, in verse 63, it says, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, now don't miss this, he goes, I am, I am the Son of God, you got that right. But then listen to what he says, and I think this is so important for us to understand the sarcasm, cynicism, and sass, the antidote, the solution for it. He goes on, he says, but I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, he, Jesus was referred to as the Son of Man and the Son of God, because he was both, fully man and fully God. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand, watch this now, of the Mighty One, and coming on the clouds of heaven. What, what is Jesus saying here? What Jesus is saying here is this, he keeps his mouth shut, he goes, I am, I am the Messiah, and he says, and I am confident God is in control. See, someone who's cynical doesn't believe God's really in control. Even as Jesus is facing, beating, whipping, crucifixion on the cross, he says, the mighty one. You're gonna see me at the right hand of the mighty one. In other words, God is still in control. And in a sense, he's saying to the high priest, you're really not in control. God is in control. My heavenly Father is in control. Even though it looks like, from his human perspective, things are spinning out of control for his life, God is still in control. See, there's no cynicism there. There's no sarcasm. That there's, there's no sass. Because he was confident, although everything looked dire, and his death was imminent, Heavenly Father is still in control. What a beautiful picture of really the right response when it seems like things around us are completely melting down, completely falling apart, when it's just, just waiting for the next shoe to drop, when, when you've been hurt so many times that it's hard to trust ever again. God, you're in control. I trust you. You're in control. I'm going to remain silent and I'm going to remain tranquil. You're in control. And that leads us to the second solution. The first, silence and tranquility. The second, surrender and trust. We, we've got to trust God is in control. A, a person who's flippant, with the words they speak, that, that there's always got some kind of sarcastic or sassy response, that, that's coming out of hurt, cynicism, that's coming out of a, a wound in their heart, out of the abundance of that heart, the mouth is speaking, it's bubbling out. What's the solution? Silence and tranquility, surrender and trust. Surrender to God and trust him that he's really in control. Back to the story of Job. After Job asks 26 times, 
God, why? 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 And, and, and it's not help me understand what's happening. It really is, I don't think you really are in control. This wouldn't happen. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do this. This wouldn't be happening to me if you really were in control. And then God replies to Job. And look at what it says, verse 38. This conversation kind of like unfolds uh, in, in these chapters here in Job. I think it's like, like 38, 39. Uh, but we'll just look at some of it. But God replies back to Job. Job 38, 1 through 3. And then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Boy, if there's not a more biblical succinct definition for cynicism, sarcasm, and sad. Words without knowledge. God's like, Job, have you forgotten who you're talking to? Job, you're just spouting off full of all kinds of sass and sarcasm and cynicism. Words without knowledge. And then he says, Brace yourself like a man. I'll question you and you shall answer me. Wow. <laughs> In other words, he says, Job, a man doesn't talk like that. Stand up, get a backbone, be a man. Leave the sarcasm, the cynicism, and the sass on the shelf. Let's talk. You want to talk? We're going to talk now. And, and God says, I got some questions. I'm going to answer you. So be a man in the response. And God really begins to ask him some real big questions to remind him who really is in charge, who really is in control. Job 38, verse 4 through 7. God asked Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? He's like, Job, you weren't there. Job, I, I, I did all that. He held the stars in his hand and flung them into outer space. God's the one who did those. He was like, Job, I, I don't recall you being there. You're questioning if I'm in control. I always have been, I am, and I always will be. It goes on and says, Oh, what were the footings set? What, what, what were those footings set for creation? Who laid its cornerstone of the earth? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. In other words, God's saying to, to Job, Job, listen, there were other created beings that were there, but you weren't there. And now you're, you're questioning me if I'm in control? Job, just be silent. <laughs> Surrender and trust him. In Job Chapter 38, verse 8 through 12, he continues to go on, God speaking. 
And he says, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed its limits for it and, and set its doors and bars in place. In, in other words, God says, you know what? I even put boundaries on the water, on the oceans. Have you ever thought about that? Why is the earth not completely covered with water? God actually put boundaries on the oceans. And he's like, Job, where were you when I did all that? Didn't seem like I needed your help or your advice or, or your input or anything like that. And it goes on and it says, where were you? Like, and when I said, this is far, uh, this far you may come and no further. When he's speaking literally to the ocean, here is where your, your proud waves halt. When, when God says, no further than that, literally to the waves of the sea. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? God's saying, Job, I am large and I am in charge and I am in control. You need to surrender to me and you need to trust me. Silence and tranquility. Surrender and trust. See, God is in control. And the reality is, more than we want to admit, each and every one of us, we want to be in control. We want to have things our way we want events to go the way that we want to see them go. We want to be in control. And sarcasm and cynicism and sass, those come out of a heart that has been hurt and wounded realizing I'm really not in control. And that's why we got to trust God. He always has been. He always will be. He was before Job in creation. <laughs> he was in control even as Jesus faced imminent death and crucifixion. Jesus trusted his heavenly father. He knew he was in control. That's why he said the almighty one. God's in control. And he's in control right now. You may have questioned it. You may, things may not have gone the way that you chose. But he's in control and trust him, surrender to him, and allow God to heal that hurt, that wound that maybe someone else caused, or some circumstance that didn't turn out the way you wanted it to, that caused that anger inside, that fear inside, and so now it's sarcasm, cynicism, and sass, the wall that you put up, trying to protect yourself from something like that happening again. See, here's the thing. I, I want to end with this passage that explains who God really is. And by the way, God restored Job. Everything that he lost, he ended up having more sons, more daughters, more livestock, more servants, more wealth than he'd had before he lost it all. And his wife was still with him. So God restored everything back to Job. Job had to learn a lesson. Do I really trust him? Do I really believe that he's in control? I, I need to silence 
my mouth. Allow tranquility and peace to be in my heart. Surrender to God and to really trust him. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 through 18, I love this in the message, uh, paraphrase of the New Testament. It, it explains when we allow, when we trust God and we allow his love, who he really is, to hit our hearts, it heals our wounds and it changes our lives. And, and, and look at what it says. In, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, it says, God is love. It's not what he does. It's not an action. It's not a decision God makes. He is love. It's the essence of who he is. God is love. When we take, when we take up permanent residence in a life of love, in other words, in God's love, permanent residence, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house. I love that and becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. And what was Christ, remember? Silent and tranquil. Silent and tranquil because he trusted in Almighty God. We can have that same standing when we allow, when we receive God's love into every area of our life, all of our heart, and we allow him to heal those wounds, to heal those hurts that the sarcasm, the cynicism, and sass are, are bubbling up out of. It's a good indicator. There's healing needs to be done. When we allow him to heal, and we just receive and experience his love, his love is at home becomes at home in our hearts and, and our hearts become mature, be, mature because our standing in the world is identical with Jesus Christ. And then it goes on and it says, there is no room in love for fear. There it is. What fear motivates, fear, anger, sarcasm, cynicism, and sad. Love pushes that out the door in our hearts as our hearts become whole. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. And so, can I put it this way? If, if you're like me, and, and you struggle with cynicism, you, you struggle sometimes with sarcasm, maybe even sass. You know what that means? There's more work to be done. You haven't arrived. There's more work that God wants to do in your heart. There's more work that God wants to do in my heart. And God wants his love to permeate and to banish all fear, to banish all anger, that we would really truly trust him and be fully formed our hearts fully formed and mature in the love of God that's who he is that's why you can trust him he, he demonstrated that for you and for me when he sent his son Jesus Christ to live a sinless life and to lay that life down as a sacrifice and a substitute for you and for me
to pay the price for my personal sin and your personal sin. How do you know that, Greg? Because he rose again three days later. And we can be forgiven. I'm forgiven. My heart can be healed. Your heart can be healed of all the wounds, all the hurt when we receive God's love and we invite His love to permeate every crack and every crevice of our hearts. And we can really, even in the midst of of, of difficulty and chaos and calamity, just like Job, just like Jesus, we can have peace as we're silent and tranquil, as we surrender and as we trust Him. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for these two examples that we find in Scripture. The example of Job who just was just letting it fly, asking why. And Lord, the example of Jesus who kept his mouth shut, was silent and tranquil and reaffirmed his trust in you even in the middle of the chaos and the crisis that he was going through. God, may we hear your word today. And Lord, may we follow the example of Jesus. And Lord, surrender and trust that you are in control. May your love, Lord, permeate every crack and every crevice of our hearts. Heal the wounds, Lord. Heal the hurts that have been accumulated over our lifetime that no more would we be known for our cynicism, our sarcasm, and our sass, but out of the abundance of the love in our heart, your love, our mouth would speak from this day forward. Right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never prayed and received Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, received the love of God and forgiveness of God, The Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So right now, right where you are, if it's in the break room or the living room or uh, in your car, I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray with me and receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. Just bow your heads with me one more time and and do this with me right now. Just, Just pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my sin today. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. I receive your love today. I ask you, Lord, heal my hearts. I receive your love and healing in my heart. And I ask you to lead me, guide me, direct me by your Holy Spirit from this day forward and I will follow you. Amen.